Chapter 31 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Frederick Lederhose. Translated by Gottlob Frederick Crodel. Chapter 31 The Changed Attitude of the Elector Maurice. Pope Paul III, who had caused the Emperor Charles much trouble, died, and was succeeded in February, 1550, by Julius III, who owed his elevation to the papal chair to the Emperor, and therefore also proved to be more accommodating. His very first step was to transfer the council back again from Bologna to Trent. The council of the church was to be continued there on May 1, 1551. When the emperor opened a new diet at Augsburg, July 26, 1550, he requested the states to send delegates to the council. At the request of the elector, Melanchthon had written an opinion in which he urged the propriety of requesting the emperor to call a council in Germany. Further, that the pope should not be judge, but subject himself to the council. Besides this, the articles already adopted in Trent should be reconsidered, and these resolutions should not depend altogether upon the hostile archbishops, bishops, and prelates, but the evangelical side should also be heard, and assist in passing resolutions in accordance with the divine scriptures. But it mattered not whether the council was called that of Trent or not, if the decrees were only godly. The opinion also demands a safe conduct to and from the place of meeting of the council. Maurice, by his ambassador in Augsburg, declared himself in the spirit of this opinion. The emperor made the very best promises that the states should find a safe conduct and hearing. After this, the elector summoned Melanchthon, Bugenhagen, and Camerarius to Dresden in February 1551, in order to hear their opinions in regard to the council, and the men who should be sent to attend it. It appears that Melanchthon prepared his opinion in Dresden. It again required that the articles should first of all be considered over again, that it should be stated that they did not demand any other doctrine than that adhered to in the churches of Misnia. This would be found in the Augsburg Confession, or in the liturgy of the elector of Brandenburg the prince ought to abide by this. They were not yet united in Dresden, but Melanchthon soon after received orders to prepare a new confession of faith. In May, he retired to Dessau for a few days in order to prepare this. He set out with this view that it should be so prepared that the doctrine of the church might be plainly learned from it, and that it should be delivered in the name of the clergy and not of the princes." This is the so-called Saxon Confession, which is merely a repetition of the Augsburg Confession. He communicated a rough draft to the court, and afterwards added some points in regard to ordination, examinations, and church visitations. This confession throughout breathes a determined spirit, and does not endeavor to bring about an agreement with opposing doctrines. It was signed by the envoy of the Margrave John, by many Saxon pastors, and afterwards also by the deputies of Mansfeld, Strasbourg, Pomerania, and Ansbach. 
but not a word more was said of the journey of the Saxon clergy to Trent. The whole matter seemed to have been put to rest. In the meantime, the elector Maurice had received orders to subdue the stubborn city of Magdeburg. He accepted the imperial commission, and the city defended itself in the powerful siege with great heroism. All Protestants anxiously regarded the fate of Magdeburg. Germany began to feel the oppression of the emperor, and especially of his Spanish troops, more and more from day to day. Not only Protestants, but also Catholics, were highly incensed. Especially, too, because the captive landgrave, Philip, was treated in the most unworthy manner. The Protestants were greatly excited against Maurice, for they regarded him as the betrayer of his relative, John Frederick, his own father-in-law, and the German cause, and also was a denier of the gospel. And now, to crown all, he permitted himself to be employed against faithful Magdeburg. Maurice felt this, and as he had for some time been dissatisfied with the course of the emperor, he resolved to separate himself from him. In the midst of his victory over the brave Margrave John von Kustren, who had come to the assistance of Magdeburg, he, as someone says, quote, went over to the opinion of the conquered, end quote. He entered into a secret league with several Protestant princes and promised to confess the Augsburg Confession again and to risk his land and people in defense of this and German liberty. While he was negotiating with France to obtain money and promised the king various German cities, he continued the siege of Magdeburg to conceal his real purpose. When France entered into an agreement with him, he offered pardon and religious protection to the city of Magdeburg, and also received their oath of allegiance. At this time, and also for the purpose of deceiving the emperor, Melanchthon and Meyer received orders to depart for Trent. In Nuremberg they should expect further orders, but they did not find any particular directions how they should act. Nothing was said of the manner of their journey, of their expenses, or an escort. Melanchthon wrote to the electoral chancellor, Mordesen, on the 13th of December, 1551, quote, I was surprised at this unexpected order, but as I do not wish to appear disobedient, I will depart for Leipzig tomorrow, and thence to you at Dresden, to learn further what you wish me to do, although I shall not be able to make this journey without danger at the present time, owing to my sorrows and bodily feebleness. He immediately carried out this proposed plan of his journey. He did not receive more light from the communications of the electoral councillors. However, he began to understand the elector's object, and from Misnia he wrote to Eber, quote, Although many find fault with our journey, and I would rather enjoy the society and countenances of my family and friends, yet I obey, whether they are urging this matter at court in earnest or to deceive, so that it may not appear that we, as has frequently been said, wish to avoid a public meeting, either from fear or wantonness. But when he heard that the elector intended to unite with France in opposing the emperor, he was much concerned, and thus expresses it in a letter to Maurice himself, January 1552, quote, 
it is indeed to be deplored that the emperor does not release the landgrave. But a union with France is unadvisable, as it cannot be depended upon. To unite with such persons, who were only anxious for disturbances, is sad and discreditable. Besides this, your grace knows that the emperor is the constituted authority, and that God generally observes his law to overthrow those who oppose authorities. The advice given by some, to take advantage of the emperor before he would fall upon us with the execution of the council, was not an argument in favor of war and tumult. But the elector seemed really to be in earnest in regard to his representation in the council, and personally addressed a letter to the Synod of Trent, in which he names Sarsarius, Pacius, and Melanchthon as his deputies. From Leipzig, Melanchthon wrote to Wittenberg, requesting those who boarded with his family to seek another place, quote, For I have a long and dangerous journey before me, which the Son of God may direct, as I heartily pray he would do. But as the time of my return is uncertain, I did not wish to burden my family with too many cares. End quote. He also bade his hearers an affectionate farewell. Quote, I conjure you to unite your prayers with the sighs of all the godly, that the Son of God may be pleased to lessen the chastisements which threaten us. End quote. And again, quote, Therefore take notice of the divine wrath, and pray that God, in his wrath, would not forget mercy, for the sake of his Son. And in order that the prayer may be more fervent, let your walk become Christian, and your hearts be awakened to repentance, according to the word of the Lord. Turn ye unto me, and I will turn unto you. End quote. After saying that the church was dear to the Lord, he closes thus, quote, May you comfort yourselves with this consolation, which in public and private dangers shows the haven in which Christian hearts find rest. And in the meantime, may you be happy. End quote. He departed on the 14th of January, and on the 22nd of the same month, he and his companions, to whom his son-in-law Pusser had joined himself, reached Nuremberg. But it began to be more evident that these envoys were merely journeying to Trent in order to deceive. Tidings were brought from every quarter that the elector was assuming a hostile attitude against the emperor. The envoys remained in Nuremberg without any further instructions, and Melanchthon preferred remaining here to going to Trent for the purpose of engaging in fruitless disputations. At last, when no further directions came, he resolved to return, and arrived in Wittenberg on the 20th of March. In the meantime, Maurice had given information to the Saxon and Hessian chambers that it was intended to deliver the imprisoned princes, and soon his armies, and those of William of Hesse and the Margrave Albert, departed from Kulmbach and united. While they were entering Augsburg, the King of France seized Metz, and called himself the defender of German liberty. The emperor, who was at that time at Innsbruck, had not the remotest idea of treachery until he read the declaration of the confederate princes circulated throughout Germany, in which, not without reason too, they accused him of suppressing the freedom of the German empire. 
as he was without troops and money, and was suffering from his old complaint, the gout, he attempted to escape to the Netherlands, but Maurice had already seized the narrow pass of Ehrenberg, so that the emperor was compelled to return to Innsbruck. When Maurice saw that the emperor was about to receive aid from various quarters, he resolved to storm the pass and to seize the emperor in Innsbruck. But during the night, Charles fled over the Tyrol to Villach in Carinthia. The day before, he had announced liberty to his captive, John Frederick, under this condition, that he would voluntarily follow the imperial court for a short time longer. Full of joy, the liberated prince sang a spiritual song of thanksgiving, and followed the emperor. But the Council of Trent had been scattered like chaff before the wind, for they thought that Maurice was coming to disperse them. King Ferdinand, who had always been a better friend of the Germans than his brother, acted the part of mediator. A meeting was held in Passau, where the well-known Treaty of Passau was agreed upon on the 2nd of August, 1552. In this treaty, so important to the Protestants, perfect religious freedom is secured to them, and they are to receive equal civil rights at the next Diet. Those who were banished received pardon, and the landgrave Philip was restored to liberty. At first the emperor would not consent to the treaty, but finally yielded to the earnest representations of his brother Ferdinand. The oppressions hitherto experienced in Germany now ceased. The exiled ministers returned, and the interim had reached its well-deserved end. John Frederick and the landgrave Philip were at liberty again. When the latter, who had endured many afflictions, had returned to his dominions, he immediately entered a church in Castle, and for a long time remained before the altar engaged in prayer. John Frederick, by his steadfast faithfulness and unwavering faith, had extorted the unwilling respect of the emperor, while Maurice had lost it to a considerable degree. When someone from Saxony welcomed John Frederick in Nuremberg, he said, quote, Go and tell it in your home that I am come without arms, and that I do not intend to cause a civil warfare, and shall rather lose the remaining portion of my dominions than bring desolation upon the fatherland. Melanchthon wrote to Moller, quote, You know that by the grace of God, Duke John Frederick of Saxony is with his wife and children in Thuringia. This return without arms is far more glorious than a bloody victory. Posterity, too, will enroll this example among the testimonies that God hears the prayers of the godly and softens our afflictions even in this world. When the old defender of the faith returned to his own country, he was everywhere welcomed in the most joyful and affecting manner. From Wittenberg, too, a letter of congratulation, written by Melanchthon, was sent to their old patron. They express their joy in this, quote, First of all, that God has sustained your grace in strength of body and soul, in Christian comfort and fidelity in your hours of trouble, and that he has thus adorned you with many virtues, even as Daniel was preserved among the lions. And then also for this praiseworthy and joyful deliverance, end quote. 
The letter also refers to the blessings this deliverance will bring upon the church, and closes thus, quote, We pray with all humility that your grace may be and continue to be our most gracious Lord, for it has always been, and is still our intention, with God's grace, to maintain unity in Christian doctrine with the churches of these lands, although we have been sorely tried, the great confusion ensued, from which, however, God delivered us, and we are still engaged in great, heavy, and highly important matters. End quote. John Frederick expressed his thanks in a very friendly reply. He says, quote, It is indeed true that God in mercy has laid upon us a great and wearisome affliction on account of our sins, but as his omnipotent power, by the assistance of his Holy Spirit, has maintained us wonderfully in the true confession of his saving word, and has also preserved our health, so also has his almighty power graciously freed us from captivity, and restored us to our own dominions again. End quote. He expresses his regrets that there had been so many disputes and changes in the church during this time, and says that if they had adhered to Luther's doctrine, quote, no alteration by mere human wisdom would have been undertaken or permitted. End quote. Melanchthon also expressed his joy at the return of their prince in a very hearty preface to the fourth volume of Luther's works. He says, quote, What greater privilege can be bestowed upon any man than this grace, to spend his life for the glory of God and the welfare of many of his fellow men? This ornament is infinitely to be preferred above all bloody victories and triumphs. May your highness continue to enjoy health and happiness. End, quote. End of chapter 31